You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul wraps up an extended Q&A session following his reading of Genesis chapter 22. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. I've heard verse 18 interpreted in a very problematic way, which is, in your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then people say, well, we're the seed of Abraham. Therefore, it's by us that the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the calamity of Jewish and Christian theology. We stress always the through me. But I said time and again that the text here is saying that Abraham did not offer his son. He obeyed the voice of God. And thus, the blessing, as Paul understood in Romans, comes through the action of God that used the curse, which means his curse, to scatter his people among the nations. But his plan was to plant the seed of the law among the nations among whom his people were scattered. The same thing you have to apply to Eden. It is through the curse that the blessing of God came to everybody else outside the garden. That is the point that has to be kept. But unfortunately, we are platonized. It's the way I make fun of the Orthodox priests, especially in the, some traditions where the priest makes the effort to do a nice, full, big sign of the cross on the elements when he's blessing them. I mean, when you take the movie, it appears clearly that it is really his hand that is making this. <laughs> and the funny thing, again, to go back to Paul Laser, the rubrics are saying just the opposite. That's all I'm saying. So obviously, the priest's function is to enact God's blessing. It's like the absolution. You can have endless theological discussions. Who is more correct? Well, obviously the Roman Catholics. The Orthodox love to say, I absolve you, my son. Well, the Roman Catholics, you be absolved. <laughs> I am saying you don't need an Orthodox Roman Catholic consultation where a representative of St. Vladimir's would go every year 
to rediscuss the matters. You don't need that. You just listen to the Tarazi Tuesday's podcasts. <laughs> the point is that the one who blesses is God. The Orthodox really have to wake up, for heaven's sakes, they are the most ungodly. I mean, they keep saying about the love of the neighbor, I, 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 and then at every service, you slam everybody by calling God or his Christ, if you look, the only lover of man, mankind, whatever, translation, who cares? Omonos philanthropos. <laughs> okay, if God only is the only one who can love, why is he asking me to love the name? <laughs> okay, you have to remember, as I said in my commentary on Galatians, that when Paul asks you to love your neighbor, it's because in chapter 1 and 2 already he expressed that God did that through Christ, and immediately a double whammy after Galatians, and you're going to read this in my commentary on Ephesians, comes which letter? Ephesians, where right from the beginning, unlike Colossians, he stresses the love of God. Okay, since we're doing the podcast, let's hear it. Blessed be the God, and this is typical Ephesians, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's a push to the extreme. That we should be holy and blameless before him. He destines us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ. You're not going to find this in the praise bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him we have redemption and so on, trespasses, which he's lavished, for he has made known to us in all wisdom, according to his purpose of Christ, to unite all things in him, things in him and on earth. So you have two strikes here about the stress of the love. So it is there. So when later you hear that you seniors, you have to love your juniors, like the pater familias, his wife and the slaves and so on. If you're hearing Ephesians, you may not, you cannot, you can, you do it, we do it all. But you may not function as if the love is flowing out of your heart the way a priest would think that the blessing goes through. Like, for instance, the in the Middle East, any senior blesses a junior. Suddenly, through this tradition of Greek Orthodoxy and more so Russian Orthodoxy, it is through the clerical blessing of the... Come on now. The blessing, to do it, you have to be a senior. That's why you put your hand next to your genitals. The other has to take it because to remember where you came from. The most classic example is the bread of the Eucharistic liturgy. Where does it come from? 
Yeah, but even in this old text, you know, and gather us as you have gathered all the wheat into this bread. And so, I mean, it's an imagery. Obviously, God does not cook. Actually, when he cooks, it's bad news in Ezekiel. Remember that pot with the bones. <laughs> Along the lines of what you were talking about with Yarash, I was looking up in modern Hebrew. I, I think the creators of modern Hebrew picked up on exactly the distinction you're seeing because they don't use the root Yarash for possess. They use hachazik to grab, exactly. grab hold of. Yes. That's possess. Yes. Yarash is to... Is to or, or, or kana or ahaz. You have other words. Your question is important for me because when a word is used, let's take a parallel because we are talking to teach our hearers. In my presentation, I took my time to explain Yashab and Shakan and Gur. So you have three words. If the author is using a word, like the inheritance sometimes is called Ahuza. I'm not debating that. We had this discussion in one of the podcasts. All I'm saying, the original meaning is very important. And you just confirmed this to me that even in modern Hebrew, somehow you have this deference to Yarash. And most probably, I think, because uh, the gentleman who came up with modern Hebrew, I mean, knew Hebrew, and he wanted to keep some decency in communicating the words to the following generations. In Arabic, you cannot miss it. Warith, irth, wirthat, and that word becomes important, kleronomia. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4. The air is the kleronomos. Paul is talking about the gift of God to Jesus as inheritance. That's why Jesus has no choice but to communicate it to all us, the others, as inheritance. That's why we get the same sonship as his. Jesus is not equal to his father. No way, says Tarazi. But we are equal to Jesus. That's what scripture is telling you. And we had it already here that is interested to bring back how the author refers to Isaac as Naar, as one of the other helpers, servants of Abraham as Naari. These things, friends, are... I know people make fun of me that I speak against the essence and then I use the expression of the essence. Well, of the non-Platonic essence. The point that you make, Father, about the blessing, it ties very nicely with your deeper point about obedience. Abraham isn't doing anything, he's simply obeying. This is very powerful. I mean, Muslims have this beautiful tradition. I mean, we should learn a lot from them and you know how I bring the tradition. You mention Muhammad or Ali or any one of the predecessors, and you say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You're asking the prayer of God on him, Sallallahu, 
and sallam and grant him peace. Usually that he's dead now, may he be in the bosom, as we used to say, in the bosom of Abraham. We have different expressions. It's, uh, but this is always to remind you, and this is the greatness of the Quran, that Abraham is not presented as, and this is where the Christians are scandalized because they decided that Jesus was perfect. And I keep telling them, well, in Gethsemane, he was not perfect. He almost stripped. In Islam, because of Quran, it's not a big deal because Muhammad was an apostle and a prophet, another human being. If he was not perfect, it's not a big deal. But it becomes powerful that when you mention his name, suddenly you bring God on top of him. As we do in many of our prayers. How many times I say, you know, the Roman Catholics and through them the Protestants got it right. You know, they pray to God to bless and they ask the blessing on the food in the name of Jesus Christ. Suddenly the Orthodox ask Jesus Christ to bless. I mean, I couldn't, it's ridiculous. You pray to God in the name of Jesus. So the technicalities are very important. And again, we have them in the rubrics. And that's why it becomes dangerous. The parishioners are going to misunderstand you. Oh, Jesus offered himself, as this is one of the incorrect part of the rubrics where Jesus offers himself to himself. No. Because you go down from the Eucharist, which is the actual table fellowship, to a fake table fellowship where suddenly you ask Jesus to bless the food. But then you tell me, but in the gospel he blessed. But anyone from the Middle East understands that he is blessing with God's blessing. I mean, you don't need to explain to people in the Middle East, at least in my Middle East. I don't know about now. Now they drive cars with GPS. And I don't know. I don't commit myself. I commit myself to the Middle East of the 50s and 60s, is understood. That's why in the TV shows and the movies, you know, even you don't see the father preparing the food in the kitchen. You see the wife and the children helping her mother. Uh, but no one, they may sit at the table, but no one starts eating before the father of the house. I mean, you see it. And technically, until now, in the land of Richard and Holly, Idaho and Colorado. That's what I'm talking about. Now, people there would find it really boring when they listen to my podcasts, and I'm stressing again this. I said, well, we know all that. That's my point. But it's artificial theology that is incorrect basically that forces you to make it correct to the ears of the people 
because you're not interested in the word of God, you're interested in orthodoxy. Let's talk about the orthodox again. I mean, the other people are what they are, you know. May God be with them and bless them. But our people, you make a festival to raise some money for your church. I mean, everybody knows that. That's why when you go to the Lutheran German, you get beer there, okay? As a woman of your parish explained to me, and hopefully one day I'm gonna drive one hour to get there. But suddenly here, you have to announce. Greek festival with bouzouki and dances and so on. And then suddenly you have to say Middle Eastern festival with kibbeh. <laughs> I mean, at least the Middle Easterns are uh, fine. They say Middle Eastern, but the Greeks were a Greek Orthodox festival. <laughs> I mean, it becomes ridiculous because you have linked I gave you this example many times. This is what words mean. Like a Greek is Orthodox. I mean, to have a Catholic church in Italy is Roman Catholic. Now, the Anglicans are no better. The word Anglican is from English. The Anglican hospital in Gaza in Arabic is Mustashfal Inglis. The hospital. <laughs> Uh, since we're uh, joking, Sayyidina uh, George Khadr, that was with my own ears. I heard him once saying in a meeting of Middle Eastern Christians, there was an Anglican, he became a bishop, but uh, he was minister at that time. Sayyidina George Khadr asked him, and they all laughed just to tell you how it is true. How come? You are the only Arab Anglican I have known that doesn't speak Arabic with an English accent. This is a factual story. And the statement is factual. ibni. <laughs> <laughs> And the reaction was a laughter from all, including the Anglicans, not only this and the others. They acknowledged the factuality of the statement. And this is what theology did. You just shape. It's the translation of Arabic. Again, I was thinking about that. I wanted to bring it to my class. Someone asked me, Father Jonathan Proctor, like the verb karaza in Arabic doesn't exist. It's the transliteration of kirisin, kirisu. So only among the Christians, now the Muslims also understand it, but it was based on the Christianized Arabic where uh, it's the sermon or the preaching or the uh, kiraza, e even translation.
but what I'm saying you may not understand it on the basis of the Arabic because it doesn't mean anything. But in this case, you're referring to the Greek. Now, the Greek Orthodox like me because of that. But then I'm asking them to make the other step to start with the Hebrew. And uh, that's why these things are important for us to deliberate. So it's more, not so much a teaching, but an invitation to the people to, to get serious, for heaven's sakes. I mean, but we are silly, even, even a statement, as a student reminded me, but Socrates said, the greatest expression of knowledge is to say, I know nothing. But I said, the difference is that Socrates and all the Greeks stress the I in the statement. <laughs> Whereas a Semite stresses the nothing in the statement. <laughs> I, I'm so humble. I am very humble, Father Mark. <laughs> Did you hear me correctly? I am very humble. That becomes uh, an unsalvific joke. And that's what theology is for me. It's an unsalvific joke. But scripture is Isaacian. It's a joke of salvation. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.